0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: All right, everybody, before we get started with this episode of Benched with Bubba, if you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratifications of DFS, then you have to try out Weekly Fantasy Sports WFS on owner's box head on over to rotorballer.com backslash box and sign up today weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season long it keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games owner's box will also be paying out users who bring their friends on board watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system add friends create groups and rank up to uh, up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level but that's not it Owner's box will be matching your first-time deposit of up to $500 for any depositors through January 4th. Just head on over to black backslash box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Now, to this episode of Benched with Bubba. everybody, to another episode of Bub and the Bat Flip, episode 72, continuing our reviews of our previews of the positions for the 2021 fantasy baseball season. Tonight, we get to the starting pitchers, which we talked about man, a month or so ago. So we'll go over the kind of a uh, couple handful of debates in the top 280P, some shots afterwards. Got a lot of good listener questions to go over. And for those keeping track at home using NFBC ADP from the online drafts. We changed it over online drafts since February 1st because there's 14 drafts in the books. It's a good idea there. You can find me on Twitter at bdentric and the Batflip portion of the show on Twitter at Batflip Crazy. Toby, how are we doing, man?
2: Doing great, Bubba. You know, just um, plugging along here. The March is right around the corner. Our next podcast will be in the month of March, which is the month uh, for drafting fantasy baseball. So that's very exciting. I know the baseball pods tournament has has begun, and so um, you know that that'll be a lot of fun, a good opportunity to get exposure for a lot of podcasts, especially ones that don't have um, you know the huge followings. Definitely hope that um, uh, definitely hope that you know you guys will consider voting for us. You know, if you listen to the pod, which you clearly do if you're hearing this message, and you like the pod, then vote for us. Yeah, we're We'd not love, gonna... We would we would really appreciate it. Yeah, we're not going to
1: hire any bots this year. We're not going to do anything like that. So if you no like pod. us, take us. But uh, we, we, we'd love to uh, love to make a good showing, but it is what it is. It's, uh, it's already getting kind of interesting and fun out there. So we'll see <laughs> how it goes. I think we're up on Thursday, if I remember correctly. Okay. Could be wrong. wrong. Thursday is a good day. I don't know. a good know. day. Yeah, I don't even know. But uh, we did stay starting pitcher show. And look, huh, Nick Pollock said, did someone say starting pitchers? Yes, we did, Nick. Yes, we did. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. You are one of the pitching gurus, so tell us everything we, we we're getting wrong when we talk about this. PitchCon was a
2: blast. PitchCon was
1: awesome, and I'm so That's happy. Uh, that reminds me, Nick um, on PitcherList on their YouTube page came out on Tuesday, so you can access all the uh, presentations on YouTube, which would be pretty cool because uh, I'm not smart enough to figure out the Twitch, so I've been waiting for uh, YouTube YouTube to come out. I even like I messaged Fast on Saturday while they were doing stuff, and I wanted to go back and listen to stuff, some stuff. I'm like, hey. When he's on youtube like last year i could watch him right away he's like oh we're doing stuff to him they'll be there tuesday okay perfect sounds good i'll figure it out from there so looking forward to it always goodies uh on that one let's talk starting pitchers starting pitcher review preview the goodies like i said adps from the online since two one the big three still goes to grom cole bieber which uh it's pretty much been that way for the most part Degrom topped out at uh, 99 today in his pitching. By the way, if anybody's keeping track at home, pretty uh, good stuff. You, I'm just—we don't have to go deep on this. You're still good with this being the the main three in their own tier.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's been interesting over the last little bit. I think since the NLDH seems a little bit more firm, you know, Degrom's been going ahead of Cole, which is a reversal from earlier on in drafts. I mean, all three of these guys, you know, Bieber obviously has COVID. So we got to monitor that and see how he does when he comes back from camp. But given, you know, uh, it seems like he's got mild symptoms, although that doesn't really tell us necessarily how how somebody's how it's going to impact somebody long term. Um, So we'll just kind of have to see about that. But I think all three of them are great. If I had to order them right now, I would probably go with DeGrom. I think I had Cole ahead of him earlier on in the season but I do think that that the NLDH does make a difference I mean they're so close it makes a difference I maybe have a little less injury concern with Cole than DeGrom but I think DeGrom is just DeGrom is just nasty I mean he's just unbelievably good so is Cole but the AL East is going to be a little bit tougher uh, for a variety of different reasons I think um so that's how I'd order them. I think Bieber affirmed third, but I don't feel bad about Kevin Bieber. I think he's actually my most owned of, uh, or the guy that I have on the most number of teams. I only have one. I only have one share of coal and 13 drafts, which is kind of sad, but
1: oh, wow. We'll have to change that. Um, DeGrom, Cole, Bieber. like, I've never had a problem going to ground more coal. Like if you want to use the DH thing, I still think that the DH is a possibility. I'm not giving it up till I see that first pitch on opening day because these guys are going to want the, as much money as possible. So it's, they're, in, they're doing something. Like uh, I can't remember where I heard it. I think it was on the Baseball HQ podcast. Um I think Joe Sheehan said last year they expanded the playoffs the night before opening day. So, <laughs> like literally, until I see that first pitch, I've kind of been that way. And everyone can look back on previous shows. Like, I think it's all about money. Follow the money. They want the money. So it, it, I, I still think it's a possibility. But um we'll see. it, it is a bit a boost to the grum. I give you, I'll give you that much. And it's interesting looking at the, the ADPs. The Grom's gone first overall, and as low as eighth. Cole's gone as high as third and as low as ninth. Bieber's high as six, as low as twelve. So they've uh, they've done their thing. They're pretty much the first three off the board, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Bieber is in camp already, so his mild symptoms appear to be mild. We'll see um, how that all plays out, but everything looks okay for Shane Bieber right now. All right, as we go a little farther down the draft board, the fourth and fifth starting pitchers off the board: Trevor Bauer, I pick thirteen; Darvish, around pick fifteen both gone as high as 10. It's a tough one for me because I have a little bit of you, e. Darvish. I have zero Trevor Bauer. I'm very scared to draft Trevor Bauer. Um, <laughs> what are you doing with these two?
2: Yeah, I'm scared to draft Trevor Bauer as well. I had an opportunity in my most recent draft to do that. I mean, I think the thing with Bauer is we've seen him be up in these positions before. We've seen him fall back. I don't think he's the pitcher that we saw last year. I think there was just a number of different things going on, whether it was the NL Central just being an incredibly weak hitting division last year, he had the Babbitt luck, he had the strand rate luck, he had the home run re- luck, at least compared to what he's done before. We obviously saw the spin rate jump, which I think has been a primary focus of, of what a lot of people have talked about, but we haven't really seen a change in the metrics. Like They were slightly better than previous years, but nothing to justify what he was able to accomplish. Obviously, the Dodgers is a great place for him to end up. He ends up in the NL. He ends up on a perennial winner. He should get access to a bunch of wins. Even with the dead end ball, is like helping him because he's a he's a very much a fly ball pitcher. So there's a lot of reasons to like Bauer, but I just I just can't be confident in um, in the ratios for me. I mean, you know, I, and it may just be also like I have to come clean. It may be a little bit of a bias of just not really digging the guy. Um, So there's that. And I think with, um, with Darvish uh, Darvish, you know, since he's developed the cutter, he's been a very good pitcher and it's obviously about a year that we've had information on it, but he just has such a deep arsenal. He's got a number of different pitches um, that can hurt you. He's in a great situation as well with the Padres. I know there's some chatter about, you know, the Padres going to the six man rotation. Um, you know, and and maybe you know, maybe that'll happen. But at this point in time, I'll sit here until I hear something uh, a little bit more definitive. You know, all of that, all of that assumes that people are healthy, assumes that they want to throw you know Morion or whatever on on the on the sixth day, assumes that they want to mess with their regular starting pitchers' schedules. So we'll see what um, we'll see what ends up happening. But I still think Darvish is, is an elite option. I struggle a little bit between you know, who my number four is after those guys. I, I do kind of like Gio Vito a lot. I think there's less concerns about the volume. I think there's less injury concerns. You know, The upside is tremendous, and I think the situation with the White Sox is really good, too. Uh, and he's a fly ball pitcher as well, so he's helped out by the dead end ball. So a lot – I don't think you can mess up going with either of those three, to be honest with you, but I would have Bauer at the end of that. I I, I just don't feel great about drafting him.
1: Well, we'll talk about G lead on next, but um, oh, I jumped ahead. Ah. Yeah, uh, but uh, we we got some comments over here. I wanted to shout. Just we, you speak about the NL DH and Justin Mason will arrive because he's been he's been with me mm-hmm. on this. When I've heard him talk about it, the DH will appear. And then shout out to our buddy Rob DiPietro, uh, Pool Header Podcast. Go check that out. He uh, says hello and uh, the reigning TGFBI champion. He believes in the DH as well, Kevin Hastings. So check all that stuff out. Um, <laughs> And Rob wants to know, but what about Trevor Bauer's Conor McGregor flag off the mound? Well, if you see how Conor McGregor's fighting the last few times, it won't go too well for him. So let's put it that way. Um, I pulled up the pitch leaderboard for Alex or, uh, Alex Chamberlain, and um, it's it's fun to look at because you talk. Everyone talks about how Bauer's dominated last year, which he did, beat out you Darvish for the Cy Young. Um, but you look at swinging strike rate, Bauer fourteen point one, Darvish sixteen. Called strike rate seventeen point three to nineteen point three. So uh, he had about a 4% – ch. Darvish had about a 4% CSW advantage on Trevor Bauer, which I like to see quite a bit. And um, I apologize. And the hard hit rates is where things differ a bit, and the dynamic hard hit rate. This is where it gets interesting to me is uh, Bauer had a 38.2% hard hit rate, uh, Darvish 34.8. Dynamic hard hit rate, 9.2% for Darvish, 21% for Trevor Bauer. uh, That's a – Astronomically large dynamic heart rate. I'm guess it feels like it's not calculated properly. So that's that's one to, to possibly look at. But you just look at all the, all the peripherals. Bauer was good. What makes me wonder is was he an accumulator? Like is he, his ERA was great. Don't get me wrong there. Like that was good. But he threw so many innings. Did he just like all the extra peripheral stats to that help him out a bunch? Because you look at the the basics of it, and it's uh, it's, it's pretty messy overall. And it's one th- and the other thing with with. Bauer in recent years, you've seen him be really, really good, and you've seen him be mediocre to bad. It fluctuates so much. There's there's never really a fine line. It's, it's one or the other, it feels like. And as your fourth starting pitcher, you really need to uh, to figure that one out pretty quickly. So I go Darvish over Bauer. I'm also not as concerned about Darvish's health because it's been a few years since we've seen that take place. So that kind of argument doesn't, uh, doesn't fly with me as much anymore. All right, the next two pitchers off the board. Lucas Gilito, Aaron Nola, pick 18 for Gilito, 23 for Nola. Um, I have Gilito as the fourth pitcher off the board as well, like you were mentioning. But how do you go between Gio and Nola? Because I know Nola, they have jumping uh, some people also.
2: Yeah, I mean, I like both. Actually, in my most recent draft, that's those are the two starting pitchers I grabbed, it was Giolito, I think at 10 and um, Nola at whatever after, is after 10, 21, I think. <laughs> I could never figure it out, even the first – two picks. I can never figure it out uh, what numbers they are. But yeah, I think, um, you know, Giolito, I just think there's a little, there's more K upside there uh, for me. I think there's obviously not, the control is not as good, but I think when you just look at the overall package, you know, from a skills perspective, I think Giolito is much better, at least from a strikeout perspective. I think he's on a better team, you know, even though the Phillies offense is good. Um, I think he's got a, probably a better bullpen um, as well. AL Central is not a bad division by any means to be in, I think, especially if you're on the White Sox, right? Because if you're on the White Sox, then the, the best offense you're probably facing is the Twins, which the Twins have a fine offense, but I think they're mediocre, you know, across baseball. So you're you're dealing with, you know, all kind of eat at or below league average offenses from my perspective. You know, even if the Royals are better than I think a lot of people think they are going to be i think cleveland is not that great of an offense and i just um i really like his situation nola does have the control aspect down you know the o swing is really high he has that great you know he can go to the curve he can go to the change those are excellent giolito's fastball is better you know than nola's i think that's the one area where nola has a little bit of a weakness but with both of them you you can count on volume you can count on them just being, I think, really solid pitchers. Even with Nola, you know, in 2019, he had pretty much like the worst half season he could have. And his numbers at the end of the season wouldn't make you super happy where you drafted him, but he was still like I think a 3-8 ERA or something and like a one two five whip at the end of the season. And while that's not great for your second round starting pitcher, it's also not going to be the reason that you necessarily lose a league. So, um, for both of them, I think, I think the upside's great. And I think, uh, I think there's a high floor there too.
1: Yeah. I think they're both sneaky good. Nola is a guy that I I keep looking back in on because a lot of people I respect are, are very, very excited on him. I've, uh, I'm starting to slowly, uh, gain some more interest on him, but Lito I've been in love with from the get go big, big fan of his, um, the way he's talking in camp already gets me pretty excited about what he's doing. I, I know he's trying to, uh, I believe he's working on his uh, curveball some more. He wants to add another pitch to the mix to really get things going, which will make things pretty exciting if he can get four solid pitches going out there. But if you look at both these guys, there's not a ton to, to get cranky about. Like Nola, 50% ground ball rate last year, which is phenomenal, and that hitter's ballpark, that's great. They both have good CSW rates. Uh, the Zervia of 2.6 for Agilito, 3.01 for Nola, both phenomenal. The barrel flip, 295 for Agilito, 268 for Nola. These guys are very, very good. Like I don't have, a, I don't have a whole lot to, to, to dissect when it comes to these two great strikeout rates. Well, uh, walk rates could be a little better for Giulio. It like it's a little, little painty at times and can get a little wild. But uh, you mentioned the division much better for Nola than, uh, I mean, for Gilito than Nola. So I got Gilito as my fourth, and so I'll definitely take him over Nola. But I could see myself jumping Darvish and Bauer with Nola if. Uh, if things change a little bit in drafts, so that could be something. That's one reason why I haven't really. It seems like I end up with Gleydson in the back end of the the one two area instead of a uh, Darvish, so I don't have to really worry about the debate. But um, I could see Noah jumping Darvish for me as well. Like that could be something done in future drafts.
2: Right. What I really I think, like about yeah. um, I, you said something that I really liked. You said nothing to get cranky about, <laughs> and I think I think we should have a segment called getting cranky getting cranky you know we're like if we don't if there's like a player that we don't like we're just like we're gonna get cranky with it you know so that's 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 what i would like to have happen yeah we'll have to we'll have to work on that if
1: we get knocked out of the uh the first round of pods we'll we'll have a cranky (laughs) segment next go around we we can definitely do something like that uh, the next round of starting pitchers, we have Luis Castillo, 10th off the board, Flaherty, 11th off the board, Kershaw, 12th, going to pick 27, 28, and 30, respectively. I grouped these three together because, A, they're drafted close together. we got Luis Castillo, very popular with guys like SP Streamer. I like him a lot. You got Flaherty coming off a rough season, but everyone was hyped going into last year. Then you got Kershaw, the, the boring vet that just continues to be awesome. So what do you do with these three?
2: Yeah, I think um, I like Castillo a lot. You know, I think when we talked about him on the on the preview podcast, the starting pitcher preview podcast, you know, his four seam fastball had phenomenal growth in the swinging strike rate. Although that's something that I'm a little leery about. All these AL these NL Central pitchers is like if you look at their four seam fastballs, they all took like significant jumps up, like Castillo, Woodruff, um, you know, which which backed a lot of the the games that they had from a skill perspective. But I think Castillo has that changeup he can go to. His fastball is improving. Slider's good. So I think for him, you know, to be my you know first 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 starter, I think is fine. You know, would love to include him in kind of a pocket aces deal. Uh, that would work for me as well. So I kind of I like him um, the most I would say of that group. Um, after that, I mean, you know, Kershaw. You know, he always finds a way to be really good. You know, at the end of last year, his velocity tailed off a little bit. You know, the skills tailed off a little bit, but he was still phenomenal. Some questions about what the volume is going to be, especially coming off of, you know, the World Series victory, some of the talent that they've added to the rotation, the depth. I think that's always kind of a little bit of a concern, especially with somebody at his age. But at least you you feel good about locking down the ratio and, and locking down the wins, um, which are which are really are going to be very, very important. Um, and then with Flaherty, you know, Flaherty's, I've always had a tough time, um, getting behind Flaherty. I wasn't behind him last year. You know, he had that really good second half in 2019 that buoyed his value a lot, but from a skill perspective, he's maybe like a little bit of a notch below. I could definitely see him taking that next step. And he's, he's, he pitches in the NL central, which is great. You know, he pitches in one of the better ballparks for pitchers to pitch in. Um, which is phenomenal. So I don't think I don't necessarily think that it's a bad pick. I just have not been able to get on board. I don't have any shares of, of him this year, but I could be wrong. I, I would not be surprised to see him take a next step this year, especially just with the motivation of, of this past year and the struggles and, and never really having a chance to get going. So I think all of them are fine options. Castillo is one of the three that I actually have drafted this year. I, don't, I haven't drafted Kershaw, and I haven't drafted um,
1: Flaherty at all. Yeah, no, Castillo, I'm a huge fan of. I've drafted him in a lot of drafts. Um, he's one of the perks if you draft in the front end. So he's usually usually not always sitting there late second round, sometimes into the early third if you want to play that game. But you can snag him if you go hitter early. He can be your ace. If you go a Kohler to Gromer, he can be your number two for your pocket aces, like you said. He has, fits that mold so well because – he brings that um, usually a pretty decent floor into the action. Like he can get walk happy because he's painting too much or whatever. But when he's actually in the zone, he's ridiculously filthy. And he gets a lot of ground balls, a lot of miscontact, a lot of weak contact because that change just drops off the table. So I like Castillo a lot. That's why he survives in Great American Small Park just fine. Then you got the rest of the NL Central, like you mentioned. He, I believe, I, I got to double check. I think they're still playing the AL Central in Interleague this year. I, I, I think that's what they tried to do with scheduling, but I'm not 100%. Regardless, it's going to be a good spot for Castillo. The only caveat I'll say is there's still a good chance Castillo and or Gray gets traded. So that'll make things a little interesting. But for now, he's on the Reds, and I still like him quite a bit. Then the Flaherty-Kershaw thing is really tricky. It's like I love Kershaw. I just feel he's going a little too early. Um, I'd rather have a mid-round three to back end round three. We're talking 15-teamers. So if you want to say 12-teamer, end of round three and round four is probably where I'm looking at Kershaw. It's just because I love what he does, so it's kind of like hypocritical of me. But I am concerned they're going to baby him, like Toby said. And next thing you know, if you drafted a guy hoping for like 170 and now you're getting 140, and we'll talk about this later when it comes to the question. We had a listener question about the, the, uh, the uh, six-man rotations. It's a big difference in what you're drafting, and, and you got to know that Kershaw. There's a great chance this happens, so it's tricky in that respect. Then Flaherty, I've never been able to get him right. I wasn't on him at all last year. I'm not gonna take a, like a, a victory lap on that. That team's COVID situation was just nasty. Like, there's no, that's not what I predicted. I predicted he was gonna get hit, not hit with COVID. So that's a, a different story. Um, but you look at all his numbers. Good strikeout guy. When he does get hit, he gets hard hit hard though, and he gets up a lot more fly balls and ground balls. He gets benefited by pitching at that home ballpark and in that division, so that's good for him, but now you're leaving that division. So does he take a hit on the road games uh, outside of that division? Something to keep in mind as well. I still think he's very, very good, but I still don't think he's as good as he showed in the second half of 2019 that everyone's in love with. He's kind of an in-between aspect there. So I'll go Castillo, Kershaw, Flaherty, but Castillo's pretty much the only one I'm grabbing in this set right now. All right, the next grouping we have is Zach Gallon, 14th off the board, uh, Snell, 15th off the board, Gallon at 39, Snell like .3 picks after him according to ADP. So they're going right next to each other. It's an interesting one because Gallon started out like a a man on fire last year, kind of faded a little bit at the end, but not bad. Snell, new ballpark, new team, everyone's thinking he's going to pitch a ton of innings, might have a six-man rotation, who knows. So what are you doing with Gallon and Snell?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't drafted either one of them. This is kind of the pocket of pitchers that I'm trying to avoid. Although I think with Gallon, I mean, Gallon's got enough. I mean, he's you know, if if you um, if you've heard a lot of folks talking, I know um, Eno's mentioned it. I think uh, Alex Chamberlain's mentioned it as well. I think Gallen is one of these guys who's able to suppress contact because he because of the command that he has. I mean, I think it's just excellent. You know, my concern with, with, um, with Gallon is the fastball. I mean, it's not even remotely close to a dominant pitch for him 4.8% swinging strike rate on the four seam. But then he also has, you know, uh, a fine slider within the curveball and the changeup are all excellent. And he throws all three pitches about the same. So, with that type of a diverse repertoire, it, 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 it feels feels pretty good. And I wonder if he lost a little bit of a little bit of velo. No, he was actually up 0.2 mile per hour. That's interesting. You know, his forcing performed so much more poorly this year, even though the velo was about the same. So I'm not sure what exactly that's about. About, You know, my one concern a little bit with Gallen is, you know, I think the D-backs are just in kind of rebuild mode. You know, I I don't know how formal it is. I think it's formal, you know, once they decided to trade Marte last year. You know they they will have decent pieces in that lineup, but I just don't love that division. You know you you have to go against the Dodgers, you have to go against uh, the Padres, and then you have some of your starts against the Rockies that are at Coors. Although Gallon, I think, was one of the few guys who did who did decently well there. So I just don't. Um, I'm not. I'm not in love with the situation. I'm not in love with the situation enough to take him where he's going right now I'd rather wait a round or two and, and target some of the guys that I think we're going to talk about a little bit a little bit later so Gallon I'm, I'm not that interested in Snell obviously you know there's no doubt about the talent for Snell but again it's questions about you know um, health you know a uh, number of innings that he, that he can throw I think he'll be good when he does pitch, but again, he's not efficient with his pitches. It doesn't allow him to get deep into games. Whether you think that was the Rays pulling him or not, I don't necessarily think that that's that's what it is. I just think he's inefficient with his pitches. He walks a lot of guys. He goes deep into a lot of counts, so he's not able to get that that type of depth. So, I mean, I think he'll. I think he's fine. Um, super high skilled, no question about it, but not somebody that I want to I want to get at this point in the draft. I think I have, I have him on one team because he fell to, like, the mid-50s. So if he falls around there, then I think he might be worth the upside if you already have a starting pitcher on your team and maybe you're looking for a little bit of ceiling from your starting pitcher. But otherwise, you know, despite the skills, I'm, I'm kind of out on him. So I think with both of them, I'm not that interested. But, you know, I think they're fine pitchers.
1: Yeah, I liked Gallon a lot more going into last year when he was drafted about – 100 picks later. That was a lot more fun. He's a very good pitcher. It's just, like you said, on a team that's probably not going to win a lot of baseball games, they don't have to push him, but they kind of want to save his arm for the future because he should be one of their top pitchers for the future. Or you never know. They might just trade him and go get more prospects. So there's, there's a lot of scenarios. I doubt they trade him because he's still so young. But nothing surprises me with Arizona now. The starting Marte trade made no sense to me at all. So uh, Gallon's interesting. But yeah, he limits the hard contact, gets uh, like a 44% ground ball rate. Decent strikeout rate, uh, limits the barrels. He had like a uh, almost a seven percent or so barrel rate last year. Deserved barrel rate of four point nine percent. So he, he does a really good job of limiting the damage. Deserved ERA of three point oh six. Uh, lot to like about Zach Gallon. I have no complaints besides where he's going in the draft. It's it's just not not ideal in that scenario. And Snell. Again, I, I I listen to podcasts all day, so I, I apologize <laughs> to, to to who where this came from, but it was a very 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 good stat, and I remember mentioning on the the preview before where Snell said in his press conference he's excited to play for a team that's going to let him pitch and all these things, but and maybe it's still the Rays, but I don't think it was the Rays because they documented third time through the rotation with Snell's sketchy. Last year, I think he went in the sixth inning one time, and he's never gone he hasn't gone seven or more innings. Since April of 2019, so he really hasn't gone deep in game. When he pitches, he's great. Strikeout rate's good. So you strike rates, called strikes. CSW is phenomenal. Hard contact's a little high, but like he had a nine over nine percent barrel rate last year. But deserved barrels 4.2. So do that. Do with that what you wish. His deserved ERA was still 4.17. It's not like he was lighting the world on fire. It's one of those guys that if I'm wrong on him this year, he I'll be wrong. He's just not gonna be on my roster. I'm not. I'm not gonna put up with the headache, and it's like you, you, t- you see these teams with six-man rotations. Like Darvish, you could see getting most of his starts, but you could also see the Padres telling Snell, yeah, you're a part of the six-man part. We're going to just take it easy with you. So I wouldn't be shocked by any of that. So I'll, I'll be passing on Blake Snell this year. I'll take Gallon if I have to in this group. Probably not taking either one of them. The next set of pitchers are the 17th and 18th pitchers off the board. Get to my head, pick 49. Lance Lynn picked 53. Maeda coming off a monster 2020 season. Lance Lind is an Indians eating machine and now joins the Chicago White Sox. So what are you doing with these two?
2: Yeah, I think they're both very interesting. For Maeda, the concern is a little bit of volume as well as just some some you know regression that's due his way given. You know uh, some of the Babip and Strand raid and all the all that jazz that we saw last year. That said, I mean there was a pitch mix change that he had that that under under underlay or underlie that all those changes you know that did take place. And so I and he's not going to walk a ton of guys. I think you're he's going to be a really nice whip, you know, contributor. I think the the ratio should be solid. You know, the major question for me with Maeda is volume. But he's not a bad like SP two to have for sure. Uh, it's an interesting. I like how you paired these two because Lynn. It's kind of the opposite. Like you're not necessarily expecting anything leap from the ratios, but the volume and the K's are just going to be massive, especially going to the White Sox. And he's going to go deep into that game. You know, he's he's um he, yeah he's going to go deep in the games. He's not going to have very stiff competition at least comparatively. I think. I mean, we obviously got to see his schedule, but. I think he's a guy you can throw pretty much every single every single time out there and you know I think you're going to get not a strikeout an inning a one two to one two five whip and 3.5 ERA or something like that and and that'll be great and especially if he can actually approach 200 in, innings this year I can't I don't have it in front of me but I think he, uh, he threw almost 80 innings last year you know I, I think um, you know he he could uh, he could be a huge you could be a huge benefit and they have a very good bullpen in 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 chicago so they won't just leave him in there you know uh, like the rangers did on on his last start to get to that 100, 100, 100 pitches pitch mark uh for the game and destroy so many of our our fantasy teams but i think they're both they're both solid you know i haven't been able to grab lynn just because of where he's going generally you know if i'm if i'm getting my aces you know, in the first couple of rounds, then the third and the fourth round are, are where I snag some of the hitters that I like in that spot. And he normally goes around that time. So I actually don't have Lynn on any of my teams. I don't have Maeda on any of my teams either. But it doesn't mean that I don't like them. Uh, maybe just um, just hasn't worked out quite yet. But you never know. Maybe it will.
1: Yeah, these two guys are like conundrums for me. Like I love Lance Lynn for the volume aspect, especially on a season where there's so many question marks with innings pitch. He did throw 84 pitches last year. For the Rangers, over 200 the year before, you have to imagine 180 plus is very much at the cards this year. I think most projection sites have him for like 185. I wouldn't be shocked if he goes over that one. So it, it, he's just one of those guys. As long as he's healthy, he's going to just throw innings for you. It's just um, you look at his numbers and it's scary. Like he had a 113.4 max exit velocity, a 14% dynamic hard hit rate, 5.4% barrel rate, but a deserved barrel rate of 8.8%. Uh, only a 29% ground ball rate. Now he's going to that ballpark that's a little sketch for uh, it's for pitchers if you start throwing it around like that. So it's a very interesting scenario. Like if even his swinging strike rate is lower than most. He relies on just volume to, to accumulate those innings and those strikeouts and all that good stuff. So it's tough with Lynn, but those innings are clutch in fantasy. Very, very important. So I like him quite a bit. And then there's Maeda, who I don't have any, on many rosters either because you look at him and it's like, Okay, twenty five point five percent hard hit rate—that's good. But an eleven point one percent dynamic hard hit rate, five point seven percent blast rate—those are those are very very uh, hitter friendly numbers, right there. But then, like you look at the alternative, seven percent barrel rate, like a three point nine percent zero barrel rate. So it's a little plus there. Thirty nine percent ground ball rate—that's good. So he's just he's he's one that just concerns me because I think he ran so pure last year, like so so pure. I like, can he do like he had an, a well bacon a two ninety nine but an x well bacon a three sixty. It's like eventually regression has to come. And like Linz, he could regress a little of the positive possibly, maybe to the negative. Like He's kind of right there in the middle. Where Maeda was so positive last year, he, he could still be very good, but what you're expecting when you draft him feels like he's not going to give you is what really, really concerns me with with Kenta Maeda. And the other perk to Kenta Maeda, last year, we were all loving him going out of L.A. to Minnesota, but he's getting drafted so much later than he is now. So it was so much more of enticing to take the chance, and it paid off. He's not really that guy anymore. Now he has to be an ace where you're taking him, where, like I said, if he regresses like I think he will, he'll still be very good, but you can get a guy like that in another 30 to 40 picks possibly, maybe later. So that's where I am at on these two. It's very, very tough for me to, to pull the trigger on them. But I understand if you do because what they could bring to the table. I think I like Lynn's floor better than Maeda's, if that makes any sense. So I'm kind of torn on those two. All right, next two pitchers off the board: Carrasco and Strasburg. Carlos Carrasco the twenty third, Strasburg twenty fifth, sixty fourth for Carrasco, 66th for Strasburg. I want to bring these two to the forefront. Carrasco, veteran reliever or veteran starter, pretty reliable. Now with the Mets, Strasburg, he's throwing already out of the bull. His uh, own bullpen sessions. Apparently, everything's going great. He's quote unquote, fully recovered from his surgery. We know if Strasburg pitches well, he, he's usually up like a top 35-ish, 40 pick, not 66. So maybe this is perceived value. Where are you going with Carrasco and Strasburg?
2: Yeah, I like Carrasco a lot, you know. Um, skills were really great last year, and they, were, they got better as the season progressed. So I really like him, obviously, pitching for the Mets, you know, in that stadium. That's going to be really helpful to him as well. So I I like, I like cookie uh, a lot. Um, I have him on, on a handful of teams, um, so far this year, uh, Strasburg I've stayed away from, you know, maybe if I see the health in the spring training, but last year was kind of the only time I've ever had Strasburg on any of my teams. And so maybe it's a little bit of a taste in my mouth, but it is an interesting injury, right? You don't really have like carpal tunnel happening all that often. And from everything I've read, it's not necessarily something that, um, I don't know. I, I maybe I'm, I i do not know if I'm remembering it correctly, but that, that, that lingers or, or they anticipate impacting him, you know, in the same way post-surgery. So, you know, it's very different than like if it was a shoulder or an elbow or something like that a forearm. Um, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see what ends up happening. But the thing is once he, if he is healthy during spring, then that means that he's going to get pushed up. And so I'll probably be out. So like Carrasco a lot, You know, I mean, just everything is, is, is beautiful from him. You know, like the O swing doesn't walk a lot of guys. He walked a decent amount of guys in 2020 this past year. But if you look at kind of the rolling average for him, the walk rate uh, declined, declined precipitously um, as the year uh, progressed. I think as he got a little bit more comfortable back on the mound after being out for an entire year. So feel really good about cookie Strasburg, you know, staying away from him again, if he does look healthy this spring, then, I think his cost is just going to shoot up, and, and when that's the case, then I'll, then I'll be out for different reasons.
1: Yeah, no, you, you pretty much nailed it. i uh, big cookie fan as well. If he can be like my SP3, pretty darn happy about that. Uh, the strikeout rate phenomenal. You mentioned the walk rates because people point to that as a massive concern, but they got better as the year went on, and I think in the National League, think in that division, it's a little trickier, but I think he'll be just fine overall. I wouldn't be too concerned about that. And then with Strasburg, if he was healthy and still going here, I'd be much more inclined, but I'm with you. If he's healthy in spring, he's going higher. So it, it's very, very uh, – then we're talking about a, a comparison of Maeda Lynn Strasburg or even Gallant Snell Strasbourg. And it's like this is where does Strasburg fit in there? And it gets, it gets kind of murky. So I'll probably pass at that point because now you're getting – you're hoping for like 140 innings out of Strasburg or maybe 150. And that's just uh, hoping for a lot, I think, so – Give me cookie all day
2: long. And next. he's called Cookie. So Yeah, he's sweet. You just got to, that was good. You just got to <laughs> chow down.
1: Chow cookie. down on some cookie. Um, all right, the next three pack we got here we got Hungjin Ryu, the 26th pitcher off the board. Zach, please act 27. Sonny Gray, 29. Ryu's ADP of 70. Please 71. Sonny Gray, 71 and a half. So they're all going right around each other, and it's like Ryu could be pitching in Dunedin, potentially Buffalo later in the year. We don't know. Pleissack, we know his story. Sonny Gray's in Cincinnati for now. We'll see how do you approach these three.
2: Yeah, uh, with with Ryu, I haven't been able to get behind him. I haven't drafted him yet. I think one of the reasons is because he's kind of a um, he's a he's a Kyle Hendricks, you know, type with a little bit more K upside. I think. But the divisional is a little bit tougher. There was a little bit of skill slippage last year, I think. And if I want to get like a Hendrix type, I could also, always wait around and get Hen- the Hendrix himself. Or I could wait two rounds and I could get uh, like Granky um, or, or somebody like that. So I just feel like where he's going, I never end up wanting to get him. Although I don't necessarily think that it's uh it's a bad uh, it's a bad pick. You know, I think he's I think he's fine. Um uh, with uh, the other two guys you mentioned, um, Gray, I'm not that into, just the walk rate scares me, uh, as does, you know, some of the velocity dip that he experienced last year and the fact that the Reds want to trade him. Could be nothing, but it raises enough concerns for me where, you know, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not really in on him uh, at all, um, which, you know, last year it looked really foolish in the first half you know of of uh, of 20 2020 because I wasn't in on last year either and then it looked better the second half so we'll see what he ends up doing doing there certainly the skills are all there but he's never been able to get the control down um quite as you'd like with Pulisic I had an opportunity to dig into him a little bit in more depth doing my presentation i understand the excitement about him but the one thing that i can't necessarily explain and maybe somebody has explained it is you know, he saw a dip in velocity on his fastball, and yet his secondaries improved very dramatically. But none of them is really, none of them really stands out from like a metrics perspective, like in terms of whether it's horizontal break, whether it's vertical break, you know, there's just nothing, whether it's spin rate, like nothing really jumps out about those secondaries. And if you look at his rolling average graph, you know, he's he's been, he actually in 20, not 2019 when he first pitched, he actually had similar metrics for a little bit um, during that season before the regression kind of turned against him a little. So I just, uh, I'm not, I'm not there at the price. I, I see, I see the interest. I see why people like him a lot because of what he did last year, but I just can't be get behind him at, at the price that you need to pay in order to draft him given, given what we've seen, you know, I'd rather take, you know, and there are, um, you know, some questionable takes that I'll have about pitchers going later on based on very small sample sizes, but I'd rather take, I'd rather take chances on upside at that point in the draft
1: than this early on. Yeah. The the premise of that is they're going later on. So (laughs) there's, that's, that's, that's the perk of it all. Uh, yeah, you said it was Zach Blisak. I've dug into him quite a bit, and there's like there's a lot to like about him. I get it, but man, like the sample. We want to talk sample sizes. Like, it, you 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 can say this guy can't trust this over here because of a sample size, but we can trust Zach Blisak. It seems kind of a uh, you know hypocritical to me. So it, it's just it's tough. I'm not saying it's not going to be good. It's just it's there's a like like I mentioned with Kintomayeta, like there could be some regression coming back. It'll still be good. Plesak could be having some regression and it might not be good at all. So, it, it, like, police floor and ceiling are so wide to me of what the outcomes could be with him that it's it's a scary proposition at this point in the draft. Uh, Ryu, I agree. I, he's just one of those guys everyone waits to blow up and he just kind of keeps plugging along. It's like a 27.3% CSW. That's not sexy at all. Like, that's just real. That's, that's not, uh, that's below league average. Um, he works on command, like you said. He's a he's a Hendricks type, just a little more strikeout upside. But uh, you you expect the AL East to catch up with him eventually. He was phenomenal last year. Maybe he runs hot still. I'll, I'll just have to kind of wait and see. Sonny Gray, I don't mind grabbing from time to, from time to time based on my roster my roster at the time. I like the strikeout upside with Sonny Gray. I like the way he's been able to limit damage, uh, even in Great American Small Park. He's pitching with his guys there. Um, with the driveline guys and everything, and his old pitching coach. So I, I, I like Sonny Gray. I get the concerns with Sonny Gray. Though his, his command is very suspect at times, and that gets scary. But uh, we've said it a few, on, on a few other pitchers. Most of your games in the Central, not all. Most of your games in the Central will help a ton. Um, I, I just like what he can bring to the table there with Sonny Gray. So I have to pick one out of the three. It's Sonny Gray. If you don't want to take any of the three, I get it. But uh, I do have Gray on a few rosters going into the season. The next set of pitchers, you mentioned his name earlier, Mr. Zach Granky. Still not in camp yet, but don't panic. That's what Granky does. He'll be just fine. I got to show I, up
2: throwing 82. Bye-bye. Yes.
1: I, I just I just laughed when everyone was like, oh, he's not in camp. Like he, has he ever shown up to camp all the time? Like ever? Like he just doesn't care. Just relax. He's one of the guys that just doesn't need to, to throw. It's fine. He's the fortieth starting pitcher off the board. Uh Frambert our 40th pitcher off the board. Framer is forty second. ADPs of 105.6 and 108.2. One, I put these two together for the fact that Granke is the boring guy. You mentioned why, but he kind of spits out his numbers. And there's Fram Valdez, who had a monster season last year, but there's a lot of people suspect to him. So what are you deal with these two?
2: Wow, I didn't realize Framber had fallen that far.
1: It's becoming I, tastier, isn't it?
2: I, I, well, I drafted him at like picks like 60-something. He's gone, gone as low as 125. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, I mean, I like both of them a lot where they're going. I did. I really didn't realize Framber was going that late. I don't know whether it's because of the the 12 team aspect of the onlines or not. But, um, you know, I, um, yeah, I mean, with Granky, I I like Granky a lot. Um, You know, he had better skills, arguably in 2020 than he did in 2019. And the outcomes were just poor because of the babbitt he's never had really a bad babbitt and he went through a period where i think his babbitt against was 420 in like four or five starts and so that's not something that that's something that works its way out over the course of a full season and he just didn't have the opportunity to do that and even despite that i mean he had a an era in the very low fours a solid whip you know and he'll get some wins so i feel really good about granky um I like him a lot. He's a target of mine. Um, and then Framber, I like a lot as well. I mean, I think, um, yeah, you're not. You have a, a small sample and all that jazz. But that curveball is great. Sixty plus percent ground ball rate. You know, uh, the strikeout rate was legit. You know, the the control gains at least looked legit. And yeah, they could be a little bit higher over the course of a season. But I worry less about that with the extreme ground ball rate that he's able to generate. So. You know, um, he's also going to make up for some of those guys that he walks um, or gives up hits to, uh, but through double plays. You know, when you have that extreme of a ground ball uh, ground ball rate, so I like him a lot. I mean, as just a guy who can get like a kind of a mid threes ERA, like a one two whip with a strikeout per nine, which would be absolutely you know um, phenomenal to get, especially at that point in the draft as your you know sp sp three ish territory. So, yeah, I like all of them. Um, I like both
1: of them a lot. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Revaldus fan. Like, the fact he's dropping gets me more excited than I'm like – because I haven't gotten a lot of shares of him because it seems like everyone else is excited earlier in draft season. Like you said, where you had to pick him. It was harder for me to pull the the trigger at that point in the draft season. But, man, if I can get him post-pick 100, that becomes oh so nice. Like, really, really intriguing – um, I, I just love everything about him. I, I was on him in like DFS like crazy last year and he was cheap. I have him in many leagues. I picked him up in a dynasty league off the waiver wire last year. And trust me, he's not getting released anytime soon. So um, just I just love everything about what he's doing. Uh, only a 31% CSW, so it's not great, but a 20% call strike rate. had uh, has 21%, which isn't bad either. But um, th- you mentioned it with that curveball. He can throw it a ton, and the way it limits hard contact is just, bananas he gets tons of ground balls tons of just weak contacts when he walks a few guys it's like like when you look at Luis Castillo's profile where he can walk a lot of guys but he limits hard contact and strike guys out with his changeup. Valdez is a poor man's Luis Castillo to me with a curveball like it, it, there's a lot of similarities there he had a 54 percent ground ball rate Castillo's got a huge ground ball rate obviously Castillo's a much better pitcher I'm not trying to say they're the same pitcher but a lot of the things you like in a Luis Castillo you have to kind of like in a framework Valdez in my opinion and I'm not the best pitcher diagnostic guy, but just when I look at all the numbers and everything, there's similarities there in their pitches. Maybe a changeup's easier to throw consistently on a curveball. I don't know all that. But uh, what Framber's doing, I like a lot. Granky concerns me. I know you're a big Granky guy, so I'm, obviously I'm not Ew. gonna tell you I'm not gonna Ew. tell you not to take him. Oh my god, Framber Val's at a forty-nine point five percent hard hit rate last year. Whoa. Cool. He didn't limit hard contact as much as I thought last year. But he kept it on the ground.
2: Yeah, but he kept the it on the ground.
1: Yep, not yeah. too as concerned there. Um, and barrel rate was lower. It was only 7.9%, so that's not as bad. But uh, Granky just concerns me for the fact that he was starting to get rope doped quite a bit last year. He get gets get left out there and get in trouble like second and a half to third time through the lineup. He just didn't seem to have the the the, uh, the Granky of old. and seemed like his velo was down a bit. Uh, where he's going in draft now isn't bad. I'll agree with that. That that's very, very intriguing, but uh, it, it just concerns me going forward is, is it um it's kind of one of those where he's getting older and I kinda wanna get off the train before it derails. And I don't it might not derail this year, but I think it's coming sooner than later. So I'm I'm out on Granky this year. I'll just be kind of sitting away there. I'll definitely take Framber Valdez this year as, I just keep flip, flipping through this uh, pitch leaderboard, and my god, it's sits awesome. Like, Granky, twenty four and a half percent K rate, seventeen percent deserved K rate. It's a uh, that's that's quite a drop off. So, I'm just concerned with him. But uh, you're a smarter man than I am most of the time, so you go get him. Um, the next oh, three. I have, will. Oh, I know you will. That's why I, that's why I wasn't going to try I, to tell you I not will. to. I know you probably already have, so I'm not, not going to tell you otherwise. Um, I'm not like some people on Twitter that say don't do this um charlie morton 46 pitcher off the board dylan bundy 47 joe musgrove couldn't do a podcast with Toby without talking about Ooh, joe musgrove 48 uh morton adp 117 bundy 121 musgrove 122 musgrove's helium it's, it's coming it's shooting up there what are you doing with these three the wiley vet the bundy off a of big year musgrove's velos up everyone's excited
2: I mean, out of, out of all of them, I think Bundy interests me the most. I actually haven't drafted Musgrove at all. The price, the cost is just too high for me. Um, you know, with, with Bundy, I think there, you know, he's got two really good pitches in the changeup and a slider. It's a slider, right? Yeah. Um, you know, which are really good. He's shown that he can pitch with the low velocity that he has, which, which is important. And I think he's got really nice, um, he keeps the walk rate low now, um, you know, at least the the walk, the control metrics, because he's able to generate so many swings and misses on both the changeup up and uh, the slider. So I really like that. You know, he was solid last year. I think there's arguments to be made that maybe he was a little lucky in some respects and a little unlucky in other respects. So I, I think he's, uh, I think he's, 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 he's solid. I, I like him a lot. Um, with, um, with Morton, I just, I can't get behind it because of the age and because of the injuries last year. Um, if he, if he's, you know, full go during spring training, you know, he looks healthy. There are no setbacks. Velo looks good. You know, all of that jazz. Maybe I'd consider it just because of where the cost is. And, and, you know, we know that he's, he's been able to do it before, but at this point in time, I, I really can't. Um, I re- I, can't, I just can't get there with him, um, because of the age and, and the, and the injuries that he's, that he's had. And because I, I like some of the other guys that are, you know, kind of going here or I've already drafted three pitchers at this point in time. So I'm just kind of going for, for offense, um, with Musgrove, you know, I love, I love Joey Musgrove. There was obviously the pitch mix change. He was throwing the curve a lot more. The below was up. But this is every year, right? Every year the velo the goes up a little bit at some point in time and he looks a lot better. One thing that I found interesting as I dove into him for my pitchcom presentation was his in-zone contact rate actually never really wavered despite like the increase, you know, the increased use of the curveball and all that stuff. So he remains a guy who, you know, I think will have a difficult time having a strikeout rate that matches the underlying skills because he's not able to dominate in the zone um, with his fastball obviously that's where the an uptick in fastball velocity would help but again every year there's just some little minor injury whether it's the abdominal thing that he had you know in 2019 or you know whatever it was that that kept him out um you know this year he just can never seem to get right and get on that plane and i'm sure at some point in his career he will i mean he's still only 27 i think so, um, he's younger than Luis Castillo, which is just amazing to wow. me. Um, and so I think he will, I think he'll get there at some point in time, but I just can't pay. I just can't, the, the price is, the cost is so high, um, for him going right here with really like, has he ever really done it before for a season? Not, not really. And you know, you don't, you, you, sometimes you just go on like with the skills show and and all that jazz, and he's in a great situation. So it'll be interesting. I'm I'm rooting for him, but you know, unfortunately, I probably won't have him except on my on my dynasty team.
1: Yeah, because yeah, that's your boy. You can't quit Joe Musgrove there. So exactly, yeah, gotta have him. But yeah, I'm with you. Bundy's the guy I want here. I was all in on him last year. Hard not to love him again this year. He was phenomenal with the pitch mix change, like you talked about, and it's been well documented with the Angels and you know a 2.8 deserved ERA exo Bacon like 335. That's not bad at all. Uh he's just he was just good across the board. And in you mentioned Morton, you know, four years ago, maybe would be awesome. There's just so many concerns with the age and the injury history that what are the Braves going to do? The Braves do they go six man with all their young pitchers and kind of keep everybody safe, they're young and their old pitchers they have in, in town. Um there's just a ton of questions with Mark Morton that I wish he was going later in drafts. I'm honestly surprised Bunny's not going higher in drafts. I figured he'd be getting a bump up there. He's kind of a he feels a lot like a Lance Lynn type, just maybe a slightly fewer innings, but he was going deep in a lot of games for the Angels last year. So he, he's got that upside to, to eat up some innings for you, I believe. And then there's Musgrove. Yeah, I, I can't pay this price for Musgrove. I'm not even going to go into it. It's just – you mentioned it all. It, it's nice and all. It's cool that his velocity was up, but, you know, it just, it just doesn't really do it for me. His hard hit rate is still the same. His dynamic hard hit rate not great. His strikeout rate was up because so he threw more, he threw harder, but – if he's off, it's going to be ugly. And it's just six man rotation also in San Diego can uh, limit some things as well. So I'll be off Joey Musgrove at this price point. A couple more to go here. We got Kevin Gossman, uh, 53rd pitcher off the board at pick 131, and Patrick Corbin, the 52nd pitcher off the board at one, th- just right, like basically the same pick as Kevin Gossman ADP wise. Um, I brought these two together because Gossman, everyone's super happy about. Patrick Corbin used to go about 70 picks earlier, 80 picks earlier, had a rough year last year. Who knows? So where do you stand on these two?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. They're kind of like the opposites because Gaussman had the increase in his velocity last year, which helped him become a better pitcher. And Corbin had a significant decrease in velocity last year and, and kind of lost a little bit, you know, that slider that's so critical to his success I haven't really been on Corbin part of me feels like I'm making a big mistake in doing that just because, you know, if you, if you just wipe out 2020, you know, where's he going in drafts normally probably around like pick 45 or something like that. Um, so, you know, he'll be a spring training monitor for me. I think at the same time, he also struggled a little bit if my memory serves me correctly in the second half of 2019. Um, and so, and I think the control is getting a little out of hand. I think the challenge with him is, you know, Luis Castillo has his change up and he relies so heavily on that to be successful. Corbin does the same thing, but if he doesn't have the slider, he doesn't have a 97 mile per hour fastball, you know, and he doesn't have really another pitch that can help him out. And so he's so reliant on that slider and he's pitched well with, the, with, with lowered velocity with the diamondbacks he did. But again, he's a little bit older and, um, you know, and, and, and so we'll, uh, we'll see what he, what he's able to do. I'm interested to see what, what his spring training is like, but right now I've been out. I I, I like Gaussman. Okay. Like if I'm really struggling, if I don't have a third starting pitcher by this point in time, I, I think I drafted him in one draft. It's tough to bump him up so much, but it's also like, it's a velocity increase. Um, you know, the splitter continues to be a very effective pitch, but then he also developed, I think it's, uh, it was either the slider or, or change up or something like a, not a like split change, but, um, another change up, whatever the, his second pitch that he had was, was better, at least sufficient enough, you know, to make him effective along with the uptick in velocity. So again, you know, uh, it's tough to put a lot into 2020, but for pitchers, I think I put a little bit more um into 2020 than than hitters for sure and um I was impressed with what I saw with Gaussman and a lot of the the skills support what he was able to do yeah there's not a lot of bad things to say
1: about Gaussman the only thing is I'm probably not going to be paying the price for him for the fact that I get really nervous about the splitter being such a used pitch because a splitter you can lose very quickly if he does if he loses the splitter his fastball is not that dominant it really isn't so that that concerns me a bit. He's pretty much a two pitch pitcher still, unless he really develops that third pitch, and that's my biggest concern. I, as a Giants fan, I hope he's great. I hope everyone dominates their fantasy season with him. I just, um, I'm very skeptical about uh, what what's taking place there. Is it uh, long the longevity of that transformation? But uh, we'll see. Could be totally wrong there. Like you said with Corbin, that's why I kind of brought it up. The numbers looked horrific from last year. I do remember many times playing him as a value in DFS. And he'd be good until, like, the fifth inning. And then either, either that or they'd throw him out an extra inning and he shouldn't have been out there type thing. They'd, just leave, they'd leave him out too long in games. They did you that go with to the, a
2: lot of guys last year. I mean, yeah. Scherzer, Jesus. Yeah,
1: like the Nationals, like Corbin, was, he'd be in the fifth, and he'd walk two guys, and instead of taking him out, he'd get, like, two more outs, and then they give up a two-run double. Or just, like, it was just always something where it was or in the sixth inning, or seventh, sometimes in the seventh inning. It was just very frustrating with Corbin. I'd love to be able to do that quickly and look back at it all, but I don't know how to do it quickly, so I haven't done it of like how how much how many times that happened with him. But even with that being said, you look at his overall numbers, strikeout rate was down tremendously, still getting barreled up a lot. Um, you mentioned the the slider usage was bad, the velocity was down. It's a weird one. It's like part of me says he doesn't need to be a heavy VLO guy because he can be a good pitcher. But if you're a two-pitch pitcher, you probably need some darn VLO. So it's very tricky. The biggest thing is is we used to take him a lot higher, and it's very – he can still be that guy, I think, he's the, the SP3 for the Nats, so he's not facing the ace that much. He's going to have some nice matchups there on the mound. And where he's going here, he has that potential to be much better than his ADP right now. At the same time, what we saw last year, could only it could get worse too. So it's, it's a very tough pick. I feel like if you're in an overall, Corbin's a very intriguing pick for me because I think he can he can give you that boost you're looking for. If you're in a standalone league, I'd probably just kind of sit back and let him go. But he's very, very intriguing, so that's why I wanted to bring him up in the, the conversation tonight. He's, he's, someone I think is kind of getting overlooked for the most part right now, but where he's going, I will pick 131. We're not used to seeing that with him. All right, next two pitchers off the board. We slide down a bit here. 62nd pitcher off the board, Frankie Montas at pick 164. 63rd pitcher off the board, Herman Marquez at pick 169. Marquez obviously in Coors Field, but he's been pretty good. Montas after the back injury last year was just absolutely horrific. So where do you stand on these two?
2: Yeah, I um I don't I haven't drafted either one of them. I think with Montas, you know, we have the small little bit in twenty nineteen where he was incredibly effective with that split finger fastball. But I think the challenge with him last year is he had the injuries but he also didn't throw that split finger fastball as much, right? So you're kind of looking for him to get healthy. And you're also looking him for him to change that pitch mix a little bit to throw the splitter more, which is, which is his most effective pitch. Obviously throwing for the A's is, is a really, um, it's a great situation for any pitcher. So, uh, but I, I just haven't been that interested. And part of it is also like just team construction from my perspective is a lot of times where he's going like i have my third starting pitcher by pick 100 and um and so i'm just not really you know going after the guys who are in this range um so that's with montas i mean marquez i definitely get it um you know but i just have a really hard time if you can't start him in cores you know i mean i know that some people probably do but just spending this pick with a guy that i don't like half of his starts already you know, it's probably a bad process from my perspective, but I'm just not that interested in going. I feel like I was deeply impacted by that outing he had against the Giants, like two years ago, when he gave up eight runs in a third of an inning because an it was just like juggernaut, the Yeah, just just reinforced. Yeah, it was before the Giants were good too. It was like, <laughs> you know, um, and you know, just reinforced that you can't really you can't really start him at quarters. Or, I mean, you can, you can, and he's been decently effective there, but it just, it hurts. Um, And so I I just would rather go with a different pitcher where he's going. So I'm kind of out on both of them, which seems to be a theme, I think, on, um, you know, uh, on, on some of these, but
1: um, yeah. Yeah. This one's interesting to me. Montas, I'm like, I'm kind of in on both these guys a little bit. Like I'm not fully in the pool, but I'm really like, I'm like ankle deep on, on the Montas. I'm intrigued by, you know, he's healthy finally. Again, he got he has, he got COVID, so we'll see how healthy he is. But the back, really, like you can document it last year. He was dominate the first like three or four starts, back injury forced to in the missed start. He was short. Than, like They backed him up like two days on a second start, and he's never really rebounded. So I don't know if that's why he didn't throw any splitters. I have no idea. That's a, still a concerning part. But he was never the same after the back injury regardless. So that's something – I want to watch him this spring. I think there could be some bounce back there. Marquez, I've never – I've always preached, like, never Coors. Marquez has grown on me tremendously this offseason. One of the biggest reasons, he used to be so much higher last year. Where he's getting drafted now, you can cherry-pick his Coors starts. Like, where he used to go, he was, like, an SP2 or 3 on most rosters. You kind of – where you drafted him, you kind of felt obligated to – you had to throw him in Coors. But um, where he's going now, he's like your SP4, maybe SP5, if you're super aggressive on on starting pitchers. So you can sit him for a week or something and and not be too concerned about it. The other thing I'll mention is in a world where we're talking about innings being a concern, the dude is an innings-eating machine. Um, He's projected for over 180 innings in in all of them. He threw um, 81 innings last year. He threw like 170, I think, the year before or or prior. He's been a, a massive innings contributor. And lastly, what I'll mention, he had like a 580 ERA at home last year, like a two-something ERA on the road. And you can't pick which starts you want to get rid of, but let me just say his home starts against the Giants, seven and a third, two runs. Texas, six innings, two runs. Houston, five innings, ten runs. Padres, six innings, five runs. Angels, seven innings, two runs. Oakland, three runs in six and two-thirds. So he had, he got blown up by Houston. Five runs isn't ideal either against San Diego. But in all honesty, if you draft him and you see San Diego's coming down, you probably don't pitch him that week, anyways. Like you just, you just don't. And then Houston, you probably debate that one as well. But I would, you know, Giants, Texas, Angels, Oakland, you at least have the conversation in your head about pitching them. And those were not bad starts. So he gets a lot of strikeouts. He um, pitches a ton of innings. And I'm very, very much more in on Marquez this year than I've ever been in on Marquez. So. It could be extremely, extremely scary coming into the season. But uh, we'll see. And like um Baseball says, it could be a trade candidate. That is true. And then Jacob Stout even says, even Rocky had him on toss. So he's got a, a little jokes right there. So that's good as well. So I'm in on Marquez. And I've never been in a Marquez. So I'm terrified.
2: Yeah. but He was super lucky last year. Yeah. Point, 0.66 home run per nine. for his career. Super low strand rate. Interesting. Some skill regression as well. But I mean, I I totally get it. And the trade candidate thing is isn't is legit, right? I mean, imagine if he gets traded mid season, you know, anywhere. and you get a full half season of him yeah. somewhere somewhere else. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's yeah, intriguing that huge. as well.
1: huge. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's just one of those where he's going now in drafts around pick one. One uh one seventy almost like that's so much different than what was before like he's gone as low as two fifteen in some of these drafts like past two, pick two hundred it's hard for me to say no to Herman Marquez it's really hard so yeah I think I'm I'm finally there uh, two more to go here Chris Bassett picture sixty nine uh, ADP one eighty one Tyler Malle picture seventy at one eighty five you know Bassett coming off a strong season Malle has got the stuff everyone wants to see can he put it together this year where do you stand on
2: these two yeah, um I'm 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 I dig Molly. Um I'm into you, you, him. You do Molly or you dig Molly? I dig. I dig. Yeah. Um uh I just think that he made some changes last year where and I think this is kind of a consistent thing for the Reds pitchers where they're not giving in to hitters, you know, and, and you see it maybe with Gray with the control and the walk rate. You see it with Castillo with his control issues and and the walk rate as well, but um, you know, he had a really nice forcing fastball, both from a velocity perspective and, an impact. He could be a guy that benefits a lot from the dead end ball as well as a fly ball pitcher that, that forcing fastball cutter combination, just those two pitches allowed him to be pretty dominant down the stretch, really nice swinging strike rate, just really nice, um, you know, metrics kind of uh, across the board and now he's in the rotation and, and he'll be there. So I have him on a few, at least a few teams, I think. Um, he also, I feel like I'm going to be more into him if he if he slides a little bit. He was going around like 150 to 165, I think, before. But um interested in that. Bassett, I think, I'm not really down with Bassett um, too much. I think he was pretty, well, he's, I mean, he's been like kind of consistently fortunate, but, you know, not really like a lot of swing and miss, not really a lot of strikeout. You know, he doesn't. You know the walk rate, I don't know why he has such a, why he was able to maintain such a low walk rate. Doesn't have a good O swing. Was getting behind in the counts more than previous seasons. Didn't throw the ball in the zone more. So it seems like he's somebody who would probably have like a higher deserved walk rate. And then um, yeah, so not going to strike out a ton of guys. Yeah, the ratios might be decent if he runs into a little bit of luck, but gives up too much contact um for me so i'm not that i'm not that in- interested
1: yeah at this point in the draft uh, it's a roster construction play for me if i'm confident in my strikeouts i don't mind chris bassett because I, I feel like his ratios overall won't be too damaging be on a good A's team pitching in that good ballpark i uh, just strikeouts will be low but he has a very very good ground ball rate Limits the long ball, so I don't mind him at all in that respect. But you need to be pretty confident in strikeouts because he's not going to get you done. But he is very good at getting quality starts and getting the job done last year. He's, he might be the A's number one this year before Lizardo, but uh, it's like Montas, Basil, Lizardo up top there. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I don't mind him in that respect. But, you know, Molly's at that up-and-coming stuff, big-time strikeout guy. You just need to keep them all in the ballpark. Like that hard hit rate, especially the lefties, is uh, terrifying at times. But if he can fine-tune that some more, he'll be very, very good. So he's definitely intriguing worth a gamble at this point in time, and that's what differentiates these two for me. If you just want the safe guy and you're good on strikeouts, you just want the ratios, I don't mind Bassett at all. If you need some upside and hope he, he uh, takes that next step, I think Molly's very, very good in that respect. So those are the way I look at those two going into this season. And the last one we have for you tonight, Dallas Keuchel boring veteran pitcher lots and lots of innings not a lot to strikeouts
0: where the (laughs) heck is
1: he oh oh there he is 73rd start the pitcher off the board pick 192 aaron savalli 74th off the board pick 193 aaron savalli he kind of has that tyler molly vibe to him to me where everyone's pumped on him coming up this year and then you got dallas keichel so what do you got with these two
2: yeah, I think uh, Keiko, I have him on one team just because I needed volume so badly. He was actually the Battle of the Pods team, and I immediately regretted it just because he's not good from like any perspective whatsoever. I mean, the ratios will be fine, I think, you know, if you look at his ERAs, you know the last uh, five years, four five five, two nine three seven four, three seven four one nine nine. five, 199 The whips are a little bit more concerning, you know, 112, uh, 131, 137, 109. But he doesn't give up a lot of home runs, like he keeps the ball in the ballpark, gives up a ton of ground balls, not a lot of hard contact. He's, he is what he is. You kind of know what you're getting with him, which I think is part of the, part of the value. And as you mentioned before, the volume. And one of the things to consider too, is like for a guy who is, um, for a guy who is, for a guy who's, whose weakness is strikeouts, you know, it's less of a weakness this year, I think, because for a guy who can give you volume, you know, um, so, you know, I, I think that that's one thing kind of going in his favor. So is very interesting. I know he's, he's working on a new arm action in spring training. It looks like, you know, the shorter arm, um, uh, arm work or whatever. I don't. I don't know anything about mechanics. So who am I kidding? But uh, there was video of that, and that's one of the things that helped. You know, propel Lucas Giolito. He added a little bit of velocity after he did that, and that could certainly go a long way for Savali because I think the one thing that he lacks is a fastball that's decent. I mean, his sinker has generated a 2.3% and then a 2.8% swinging strike rate. You know, but then he's got a diverse arsenal. He's got a cutter. He's got the curveball. He's got the changeup, all with double-digit swinging strike rates. He's even got some pitches that are effective in the zone, like um, like the curveball, like the changeup. So I think there's a lot, um, there's a lot there um, that could go right for him. And I think it'll be really interesting to monitor him during spring training. He may be a guy that I, I'm a little bit more interested in. Um, and I think there's gonna, you're going to see a lot of bold predictions from the anti police act folks. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, uh, I think it might have been Todd Zola who mentioned it. Um, his his bold prediction, or I don't know if it was official build prediction, but just that Aaron Savali would be better than uh, Zach Pleasak this year. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm, I'm really um, I'm really interested in seeing that.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing Zola do that, and I saw our buddy uh, Mike Kerlin second that thought. So it's going to be a very popular one out there for sure. And I don't mind Savali; I liked him a lot last year. He had a little up and down go of it, but uh, I like the changes in mechanics, like Gilito And also I believe Alex Fast was talking about it. Should help with his off-speed pitches as well and help with the tunneling, which is very big as well. So uh, good stuff with that. And then Keiko, like I even took him in a, in a league as well. You know, He's going to have good ratios, no strikeouts, lots of ground balls, limits hard contact, probably a decent amount of Ws for the White Sox. Uh, going to eat up a lot of innings. If you're in a quality star league, he gets it done a lot. It's just not sexy because there's no strikeouts. Like there's none. But he's it's another one of those guys, if you're comfortable in strikeouts, which I was in that league. I got Cole and a couple other guys where I was like, yep, I'm good. Get Keiko to just kind of offset those uh, the, uh, the ratios for you and really lock things in. I don't hate that at all, so that's, that's very intriguing. Uh, real quick, before we go on here, Jacob Stout in the chat mentioned um, on our Molly versus Bassett talk. He says uh, he doesn't know ATC has Bassett 140Ks over 157 innings, a 407 ERA. Molly, 161Ks over 152 innings with a 452 ERA. His question was, is 20 strikeouts worth a half a run in ERA? To me, if you're needing strikeouts, it is, yes. But uh, what What say you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly don't pay that much attention to projections for pitchers just because I don't think they respond quick enough. You know, like um, with Molly last year, 13.8% swinging strike rate nearly 20% K minus walk rate, a K percent close to um, 30% or, you know, more than 11 strikeouts um, per nine. You know, the BABIP obviously stayed um, pretty low. So there may be some regression there, but he also dominates in the zone. Z contact at 80.4%, so much better than league average, you know, extreme fly ball pitcher. So maybe benefited by the dead end ball as well, you know, so yes, you know, ATC may project them for, you know, slightly more strikeouts than Bassett. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily see that. Like ATC right now has, you know, has him at slightly more than a strikeout per inning um, for Molly. But I think, you know, given he had a totally new, I think the cutter was like a brand new pitch for him last year. Let me just double check. Um, so the cutter, I mean, he threw 141 in 2019 but he really amped it up 18.6% swinging strike rate, you know, on that pitch, even his four seam has an 11.6% swinging strike rate, which is higher than Bassett's overall swinging strike rate. So I just think like the upside is much greater from my perspective and, um, you know, and Bassett, I mean, Bassett could continue to limit contact in the same way that he, you know, that he has um, in the past. But, you know, he's never like he's never, you know, two years ago, he almost struck out, you know, one guy um, per um, per innings pitched, you know, 9.9% swinging strike rate, 14.6% K minus walk rate, as I mentioned before. Not sure. I believe that walk rate with underlying skills doesn't get guys to chase has never had a league average, you know, chase rate can't really dominate in the zone that much either. Uh, let me take take a look at his, his um pitch mix a little bit here. Um, yeah, I mean uh I mean maybe maybe if he goes to the four seam a little bit more, I mean maybe there's like a little bit more potential there for Bassett. Although if he goes to the four seam theoretically, like my guess would be that you know the contact may be a little bit You're worse. Yeah. yeah. So I mean there's give and take. I just think it's a matter of um I just think it's a matter of upside with Molly. Like I think Molly can be a legit, very, very good pitcher. I don't think Bassett can necessarily get there. Um, But it doesn't mean that Bassett doesn't have – like he's a useful pitcher for me. And I think with Molly, I really like what I could um, uh, potentially uh, get from him. I think he could take a a step and be a really, really good pitcher. And I'll I'll kind of hedge a little bit on that one.
1: Yeah. No, and that's the thing is like Bassett – is who he is. Like there's really no more to go from there. If anything is down than up. So that's what you're getting. Molly's got that, the, the ceiling. Like Jacob dad does say, thank you though. He didn't expect an answer, but uh, he loves it. So th- thanks for it. Hey, yep. You Jacob, if podcast. nothing
2: else, we'd yep. love to respond to listener questions. Yeah. And, and uh, we very much appreciate people who join us in the stream Yep. and um, ask questions. So thank you very much. Yep, Jomo, Jomo
1: baseball's on the same side. Molly has all the upside. So he's with us on that one. But, and also uh,
2: Jomo is a great nickname for Jordan Montgomery. It has not caught on, but Jomo, I mean, there's Logan Morrison. Loma. He's got Lomo yep. and you've got Jordan Montgomery and he's not Jomo. Should. Like, Makes come on. People.
1: Yep. No doubt about it. But um, I changed the header while we were you were talking there. We, uh, this is part one, because I was looking, there's a lot post 200. So we might talk about some more next week. Let's just do that. Instead of okay. this. Instead of saying like twenty Late guys picture like, targets, yeah, those
2: those are the podcasts that people listen to. Yep, those Please can win. Leagues.
1: Those can win leagues. So uh, we'll go to there, and we have a bunch of listener questions. So we'll head into those now and get that all taken care of for you. Crabby at the crab at the underscore crab underscore shack underscore asks, any concern with spin rate cheaters with leagues supposedly cracking down on the sticky stuff like Colin Bauer? My answer is no because they've been doing it for decades and they're going to continue to do it. And bait, and hitters actually want them to have sticky stuff, so they're not getting beamed with fastballs. So, as long as it's not obvious, it's still going to happen. That's the way I see it.
2: Yeah, I'm not worried about it as well. I haven't heard anywhere that they're going to crack down on it. And I mean, quite frankly, like teams have invested a ton of money into starting pitchers who use sticky substances to be effective. And the last thing I think baseball wants to do is come around and make pitchers less effective that teams mm-hmm. have just given massive contracts to. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. purely mm-hmm. from like a financial perspective, I didn't. That don't think it makes sense. And I also think it's just really hard. I think it'd be really hard for them to do that, especially since they've known it's been there for so long and they haven't done it, done anything about it. Like cracking down on it now just doesn't really make a, a ton of sense to me.
1: Uh, Anthony, I always screw this up. I apologize. Gialde? He asks, um, I don't think I've heard anyone analyze it, probably because it's unknown, but what are we doing with the dead ball effect on Coors? Should we should we be moving Marquez up a bit? He has shown the ability to tame Coors in short stints. Could the dead ball push him up? Could he be a bargain? To me, I, A, I'm not too – the dead ball, when people – the smart people are saying it's like a 5% thing that it really only hurts certain people. Coors Field's Coors Field to me. They have a humidor, and that's about as far as I think it's going to go. I already told people why I'm high on Marquez this year, but are you thinking that the dead ball helps him even more?
2: Um, I don't think he's like a fly ball pitcher, is he? Not really, no. No, he's a high ground ball pitcher. He's a 50.6% yeah, so, yeah, ground ball pitcher. That's so why he survives those starts in Coors. Yeah, he's not really one. And one misconception about Coors is that it's like a really good home run hitter's park. park. It's, it's actually not. Yeah, it's Babbin a Babbitt cool. park. Yeah. So I don't think it really has a huge impact on his on his um, uh, on his value much. I mean, it's a great question, but I just don't see him being a guy who is more impacted by it. The guys that I think are more impacted by it are are like your your high fly ball pitchers, right? Um, Who are going to have a higher volume of fly balls and are going to have fewer home runs as a result of that. And the Babip is going to be lower for them yeah. as as well. Well, we, I mean it will be slightly lower, maybe, but you know, also you won't have the home runs factoring into the to the batting average, you know. So again, and
1: just and just for example, Marquez gave up six home runs last year in his 13 starts in his eighty four or eighty four so innings, eighty one innings. Only two of those came in Coors. So uh, he threw set that game against the Giants seven or third six hits, no homers. That game against Houston, 10 hits, 10 runs, only one homer. San Diego, eight hits, five runs, one homer. Then no homers the rest of the way. Five or more hits in every start. He actually had five or more hits in all but two starts the entire season, no matter where he pitched. But he gets, keeps the ball in the yard pretty good, doesn't walk a lot, strikes out a ton. So. And one
2: thing of note for Marquez is he was super lucky on home runs last year.
1: <laughs> He's going to mention that many times. And
2: 0.66 the, home runs per nine, 9% he, it's, it's, home it's run It's not lucky ball when the ball's
1: hit on the ground all the time. It's just how it
2: works. Well, uh, yeah, but I mean – I know. His, out of his, his career five balls. home run per yeah. five ball rate is 16.8%. Yeah. And last year it was 9 point something percent. It just yeah. doesn't make any sense, people. Sticks,
1: more sticky stuff. Spin rate. Right? Um, let me get cranky for a second. No, yeah, he, Toby's getting cranky here. Like, I got cranky with cranky. There you <laughs> go. Um, Rob DPH or a buddy at Deadpool hitter ask if you feel strong about there being no DH, what is your biggest adjustment for starting pitchers and who is the biggest loser dropping rank? Um, I still think there's going to be a DH, but if you don't, obviously you move some National League guys up. That's just uh, what it looks like to me. What do uh, I say you, Toby?
2: Yeah, Rob, I let the projections do the work for me, you know. Um I've uh you know actually that's a lie because I don't really look at I mean I look at projections for hitter for pitchers, uh generally speaking, but um I I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you, Rob. I think I I just kind of think about the pitcher and overall context and whether I want them on my team, which is probably a weakness. <laughs> that I and have Toby's
1: worked. one of the best NFC players out there. Remember that folks. There you go. That's good stuff. I have a um, very
2: short track record on that one. I appreciate the commentary, but yeah, but I have a very short track record. Well, you're damn good. You're show. damn good
1: in that short period. Um Doug Fraley Jr. at Doug underscore Fraley asks, with it looking like there will be no NLDH, are you guys seeing NL pitchers getting any slight bumps? We can talk about that. Seems like yeah. I haven't noticed it acknowledged much in the fantasy world. Yeah, we just we just hit on that Doug. It, it, wow. it will impact the National League pitchers. That's why, like we talked at the very beginning, Degrom's over Cole now. Last time Cole was over Degrom, so it might not be a dramatic shift, but you're going to see National League pitchers get a bump. It's just the way it's going to go. So that's what yeah, you'll see. I mean,
2: it, it makes you feel better about guys like Nola, you know, too. Where, yeah, I'm with you. 100% you
1: know,
2: like guys who maybe you don't think of as being having a ton of K upside, but that little like one or two more strikeouts per 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 uh, per yeah. game is. Yeah,
1: no, huge. That's a good, good bump for Herman Marquez too. Um, nah, he's going to get traded to the AL probably. That would be my luck, yeah. To like get traded to the AL East. Yeah, to East yeah.
2: The Orioles are going to make a big move for him. He's yeah. in trouble.
1: They're going to get off to a two-month hot start and go, we're going all in. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Trading DJ Stewart to Colorado would get me excited for Herman Marquez. <laughs> um, Guillermo Salve asks, these are some quick hitters. Do you think Gilito's ready to step into tier one? I say yes. What, is, what, is, what say you?
2: Uh, yes, I do.
1: Yeah, can Ian Anderson keep it up? Uh, I say
2: no. I say no.
1: Yeah. Well, Frankie Montas, remember he has a splitter. I say yes.
2: Uh, I say
1: no. Okay. There we go. We disagree on one. Uh, well, David it depends Price. on
2: what "remember" means in terms of a percent usage.
1: Yeah, I think basically um, you think he throws it more than he did last year.
2: He really should. He I'd really say should. Yes. I say he, yes. He, Maybe I'll say yes. Maybe I'll say yes. The but then I to see that. True. True.
1: Me up. True. Does David Price have any value if he's playing this year? Yes.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I think he's going to play. I think um, I think I think he'll be really good.
1: What's Eduardo Rodriguez's healthy ceiling? Erod came out the other day and said he feels fully healthy from everything. He's been he's been throwing on the side. He's ready to throw 30 starts again this year. Of course, he's excited. We'll see what he does. Um, what do you think his healthy ceiling is?
2: Yeah, I mean they're gonna they're gonna have to monitor the innings pitched yeah. considerably. So I think there's a limited upside there. But where he's going, you know, that's kind of baked into the into the cost going in the mid two hundreds. I think so. Um, I to, he's definitely say- an interesting dart throw there. Not dart say- throw because you know he's good, but like yeah. that's what I love
1: about where he's going. What if I over under 140 innings under considerably? Okay. okay. I think, I think he pushes at the 140. I really mm-hmm. do, because they, they have nothing to lose there. They really don't. Um, if Severino makes it back in June, how awesome would that be? I'm not touching Severino.
2: Uh, that would not be awesome, because yeah. we are the, I am not a fan of Severino on this podcast. There we go. The destroyer of dreams himself, Luis Severino. Yeah. The man who gave us the second <laughs> half of 2018, I think. Was that 2018 that he gave us where he just yeah, destroyed all of us? Freshed us all. Yeah. All the hopes yeah. and dreams. Yeah, I fought. remember that. My memory goes back. No, um, honestly, I'm not. Um, I think San Marino's fine. I think he's a little overrated. But, um, you know, I'm with, with Tommy John. You just never know how, how guys are going to respond. And they have. So they I, have I don't know. And the Yankees have extra weapons. They have no reason to push them.
1: Like, if anything, get them ready for a couple of postseason appearances, maybe. Like, they have no reason to push them. Uh, John Wilder at John Wilder84 asks, so many people talk about getting those big inning guys this year due to 2020 being short. Am I wrong for loading up on high quality guys who may only pitch 110 to 150? Two starting pitchers with 180 innings pitched with a high three ERA is worse than three starting pitchers with 120 innings and a three five ERA. Are innings pitched
2: overrated a little? Uh no, I mean I think it's a I think it's a good point. I mean, one of the questions is is two is will will the volume of the top starters be what you expect it to be relative to what it usually is that makes sense at all but i think the the problem with the question is it assumes that there are guys that you know are going to go 110 to 150 and have really good ratios that don't cost a lot in drafts I, i don't know you know that's like corbin burns for me maybe and even with corbin burns i think there's a big question mark about whether the ratios will be there again you know at least in the way that they were this year so um so i I understand the the question and i guess the major question is yes there could be a a difference there um you know in terms of maybe the maybe the relative difference between some of the aces and some of the guys you know further back in the pack is 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 fewer right like there's less of a difference there But I think one of the things when you pay up for the aces is you're paying for the ratios as well, right? You're paying for good ratios, guys that have proven that they they can have good ratios. And I just don't see that there's guys who are going to pitch 110 to 150 innings this year that have those types of ratios that aren't going high in drafts. I mean, that's like Kenta Maeda, you know, guys like that, maybe, you know, like I mentioned, um, I mentioned, Uh, whatever his name is Burns you know you could also say the same thing maybe about Plesak because they probably won't push him that hard you know uh, so I think that the the question is a little bit flawed in that sense but I totally get what you're saying and I do think I was thinking about that a little bit like I do think that the relative difference between the aces and maybe some of the guys lower back like further back in terms of volume could be could be less than it usually is it also could be more right um and that's one of the challenges going into 2021 is we just you just don't know.
1: Yeah, and it's like I get what he's saying. That's why in years past I've talked about guys like Strasburg and some others that I'd rather have 150 quality innings from them than 180 from somebody else. So that's kind of where he's going with it. But like Jacob Stout says in the chat, fewer innings pitch also means fewer wins, fewer quality starts, and also probably fewer strikeouts. So are you going to sacrifice these other categories for just your ratios and or where you can maybe help your ratios out with different closers, relievers, something like that? So there's, there's different ways to go about it. Dave Petroziello asks, there are some very smart people in fantasy baseball Twitter that are showing John Means a lot of hate. I like him. And I know Toby does, too. So why are we right?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, I think what Dave is referencing is Rob Silver on the latest episode of um, the Launch Angle podcast, you know, kind of uh, got upset at those of us, myself included, who are who are drafting John Means where we are as well as Drew Smiley where we are. Um, and I think he had a lot of really good points. I mean, a lot of salient points and, um, I wish I had really astute, you know, kind of ways of coming back. But I think one of the things at this point in the draft, I think that there is very few kind of sure things, if you will, like there's, I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of question marks about a lot of the pitchers going in this area of the draft. And I want to look at upside. With Means in particular, I mean, I think you can point to the velocity increase. His increase was was substantial. I think it was uh, two miles or two miles per hour or more, you know, in the season. He was injured and then he went on the bereavement list. But when he came back, um, he was really good, you know, from just a skills standpoint, swinging strike rate, um, you know, O swing. He has a very low walk rate. So while home runs are certainly an issue with him as a major fly ball pitcher, um, home runs are an issue. He's still able to manage to keep a very low whip, you know, throughout his career because he has a very high O swing. He's got the four seam fastball that was generally generating like above like twelve percent, I want to say, swinging strike rate on it. He also has the change up, which is not necessarily a dominant pitch quite yet, but still generates a pretty significant swinging strike rate. And then he's got the curve, which I think is a a lesser pitch. But I think there are there is the potential there for him to be really good. I also think he's benefited by the dead end ball because he is a, a fly ball pitcher. And so, you know, when I look at means, I think, you know, if, if things don't go great, you know, the ERA will probably be high. I think the whip will be, will continue to be pretty low because he's a fly ball pitcher and because he doesn't walk guys necessarily. Um, so that will at least be helpful. I think he's shown that he can get, you know, a K per, per nine, especially with the, if the, bump in velocity holds, which traditionally it, it has held when those happen towards the end of the year. And so I think there's a lot to like with Means as well. And I think especially the whip piece, you know, at um, this area of the draft, like I, I like that low whip um, from John Means, um, which makes, uh, which for me may, makes him, um, you know, a guy that actually is going up in my estimation, I think because of the dead and ball. And I think I've shared on Twitter, um, the rolling average graph that he had over his last five games. And yeah, it's only the last five games. It's recency bias, whatever. But when I can actually point to a reason why, you know, he's improving like a fastball velocity, when there's a material change, then I don't think there's a reason why I shouldn't necessarily believe that he'll be able to maintain that in the future. So that's kind of my case for John means why I like him a lot heading into next year. Um, But again, like, you know, people with very reasonable takes can disagree on these things. They can, you know, not want to draft John Means. And that's great because that means that we get to draft John Means, Dave. Yeah, there you go. Um,
1: Yeah, the increased velo and then just the proper pitch mix with which we saw at times last year would be tremendous for John Means. Uh, That'd be big. And as much as I don't want it to happen because of Trey Boo Boo and others, just watch them put a humidor in Baltimore. There's some stadiums getting humidors. Let's just wait and Ooh, see what happens. Baba, dead in the so. ball
2: and a humidor for John Means. I mean, we could be talking about the Cy Young Award winner
1: yep. here. Be pretty wild. Out of
2: Baltimore. Be pretty wild. With two wins. Two wins, but <laughs> great videos.
1: Uh Ben Tid at breaking Ben underscore T says, How many teams do you think will have six-band rotations? And should we be significantly downgrading pitchers on those teams? I think the Angels, Mariners, and possibly the Cubs are the ones I know of. Um, I've been in some chats that talked about it, so I got the info here. Um, Seattle, Detroit, Angels, the Reds, Padres, um, Cardinals, Dodgers, and Cubs have all mentioned it. So they're all discussing it. So about that, that's eight or nine teams. So you're almost a third of the league. I wouldn't be shocked if we see more or if we see more of those phantom DLs and guys get pitched and might not be six man rotations at the right time, but you see about seven guys get their chances type situation. I think a lot of teams are starting to go that way. And um, Rob Silver, uh, let me pull this up real quick.
2: Yeah, that was a really good yeah. tweet.
1: I just want to mention this because he Rob does smart stuff that I'm too lazy or too dumb to figure out. So he brought up the point because in the recent mind in the news, the Padres mentioned it. And so, um, he in the mining the news from Jeff Zimmerman. He said, "Okay, let's do some math on say Darvish. Normal rotation, if he stays healthy, you get 32 starts. Six man rotation, you get 26. Darvish's average six innings per start. Six less starts, thirty six less innings. That takes him down to 156 from his projection. Let's say he's at 11 K per nine. That's 44 less Ks. Say the Padres are very good and he's lucky, gets a win every second start. So he loses three wins." 44Ks, three wins, and 36 less innings of quality ratios is a massive drop from that valuation from where he's getting picked towards the end of round one, early round two. Um, so you got to kind of look at, I guess, where they're getting drafted. Does that hit cost as much? And in reality, it's going to definitely take him out of starts that they normally have. The caveat, if I have to play devil's advocate, is Simeon mentioned it when I talked to him, and I can't remember where he said he got it from I think, uh, Ray from baseball, HQ's talked about it too. If they're only pitching, say, once a week now, they might get to go a couple extra innings per start because they're stretched out some more. And they might be, like, Kikuchi last year is a great example. He pitched better because he had a lot of extra days rest. He was fresher. That could be a benefit for some of these kind of middling pitchers. So if the ace thing take a big hit, the middling guys could actually kind of get a boost in theory, if that makes sense. So what's your thoughts, Toby?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I have the wrong perspective on this. I'm kind of like, I mean, with some of them, it makes sense, but with some of them, I'm just like, I'll believe it when I see it because it's like, it assumes a number of things like number one, I think it assumes health, right? So it assumes that like everybody stays healthy that can compete, you know, it also, in some respects, I almost feel like it assumes that we're going to have expanded playoffs because you know, like with the Padres, you know, and, and obviously some of it's like the the pitching, you know, the innings pitched because of what, you know, because of the pre- the previous season, but like with the Padres, you know, like, like with a lot of these teams, I mean, if we don't get the expanded playoffs, like it's hard to make the playoffs like regularly, Right. And so you can't really be throwing not great pitchers, you know, every six games. I mean, with some of the bad rotations, I mean, the Mariners, we know what's going to happen. Right. I mean, with the Cubs, like maybe they do it so that Kyle Hendricks gets like less starts, but, you know, or like their Alec Mills gets less starts or like, you know, Zach Davies gets less starts. So I'm kind of in a, I'll believe it when I see it type of mode. And hopefully we'll have a better understanding of that because I also think it's something where, let's say you start out with a six man rotation and, and pitchers are creatures of habit. We know that. And then your sixth starter gets injured, right? And then, then do you cut it down to a five man rotation? Do you mess with what you've set up throughout the course of the season? Like as you get down the stretch and the games become more important, do you cut it down a little bit? So maybe I buy it for one of some of the seller dwellers, you know, like some of the guys, some of the teams that aren't going to be good this year, but for a team like the Padres, I just have a really hard time thinking that that's what they're going to end up doing because you know, and, and if until Nelson LeMet gets it,
1: you know. It I was
2: about to say it, that. Right? I was about to like, say that yeah, you don't have I mean, to worry like,
1: about it when that happens.
2: And it's just like – and then you're going to have uh, Morion, like, go three or four innings, you know, in his sixth start, and then you're going to use up your bullpen finishing that game off. You know, it's just – for me, there's too many questions about it, at least for the good teams, for it to make sense. And a lot of the teams you mentioned, I mean, let's be honest with you, like, like the Tigers and – the Mariners, I mean the Orioles. Yeah, there's John Means, but is there really anybody else in that rotation that's like jumping out at you? Like, so I don't know. I I'm not super worried about it, and I just don't think anybody's gonna mess with the Aces, right? Like, you don't want to mess with Degrom, you don't want to mess with Cole, you don't want to mess with any of those guys. So I'm not as concerned about it. Maybe I will look super foolish, um, which would not be the first time that that's happened. But I tend to think that. Um that if we see it, it'll be, it'll be from guys who are further down in the standings. Yeah. Uh Nick at in Biscardi 17 asks,
1: can you touch on massive jumps or drops from such small samples? I understand the pop-up guys because it's all we have, but is the industry putting way too much emphasis on 2020 sample for guys with longer track records, Bundy and Bieber way up Bueller way down. For example, it's the narrative street. Like what fits your narratives the way I see it. I, I, I look at all the samples and use them as a grain of salt. Like you mentioned, velo is something you can definitely look at. That's, that's a difference maker. But there's other there's other changes that – if there's a physical change, I, I, I can see it. But there's, like, COVID issues that we don't know about. There's all kinds of other issues we don't know about. So you have to kind of look at each situation differently. I'm not as concerned on Bueller as other people are, but um, I see what he's saying. What's your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you look at each player individually. I mean, just the examples that you gave, though, I mean – Just think about, like, Bieber was going, like, his ADP last year was, like, 17. Yeah. Like, you know, like, he was an ace. Like, he was a top seven or eight starting pitcher, like, heading into last year. So, yeah, he's bumped up a little bit. He also added a tick of velocity. He added a new pitch with the cutter that he throws. You know, like, he's just – he's a better pitcher. Like, he was – there was – Differences. Bueller, I mean, Bueller's is still like going in the top twenty in ADP or something close to that, at least, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's not like he's like fallen from grace or anything like that. I think there's just maybe a recognition that either he's a slow starter, which has happened to him a couple years in a row, or he's probably not going to get the same type of volume because he throws for the Dodgers, maybe. Yeah. You know, which seem like relevant, you know, concerns. So I think there are instances where guys are getting dropped. You know, like Granky is a good example for me, where the skills are better this in 2020 than they were in 2019 in a lot of ways. And yet, you know, he's fallen really far because he had some really bad Babbitt days. You know, Um, and I think there are other examples that are similar to that. You know, maybe Corbin, who we covered before again, he's dropped like he was he was going around pick 42, 40 to 45 last year. And now he's all of a sudden like at pick 150 or something like that. Like maybe that's too much of a reaction you know, but it's also as a result of the velocity dip and maybe the slider being a little less effective and his reliance on that pitch. So, and again, we're still in, you know, late February. I think there's still an opportunity for the ADP to shift dramatically here as we get closer to March and we get an idea of how, how guys are feeling. We get reports, we see them throwing in, in spring training. And while you shouldn't put too much emphasis on spring training, obviously there are things like you know, velocity readings, there are things like, you know, I think even like, you know, when you get to the extremes of like strikeout rates and walk rates and things like that in the, um, in the spring, we can kind of pay a little bit of attention to that, those types of things. So that's kind of the, the, my, my, um, my thing on it, but certainly, I mean, recency bias impact impacts us all. And there's no doubt that that's going to happen. And it happens every single year. Right. Um, yep. you know,
1: so, Yep, Not about it. Spring training game start in about five days. So we'll start getting some real fun stuff to look at here pretty soon. Uh, at JW, the gamer asked, concerned about Garrett Cole supposedly not having his personal catcher? I am not for two reasons. I'm pretty sure if he wanted him, he'd have him. He, I'm pretty sure he could walk in and be like, hey, I want my guy. Secondly, if it goes bad for one or two starts, I think he'll have him back. So if we have a full 162 like list like we'll have, we saw Cole start out slow pretty much every season and then just turn into a, a robot. So what you're getting out of Cole, I'm not too concerned about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen that, and I'm probably behind on the news a little bit, but it's like, yeah, I mean, if 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 there's really a thing between Kyle, uh, between... Um, Ishikawa? Uh, between um, Cole and Higashioka. Is that, am, I, am I saying it right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, then, yeah, he'll throw it at him. You know, yeah. that, I don't think that's really a thing. And, Greg, and I Greg, would be surprised, Greg. actually, if, like, he doesn't throw to him. You know, yeah. if that's something that he's noticed is actually important to him and identified that as something that's important to him, then I think that'll happen, even if it's opening day. You know, like, they want Cole to be successful. They want the team to be successful. They'll do what it takes to make that happen. Yeah, Greg
1: Maddox had um, had his own personal catcher, Eddie Prez, for years, even though Javi Lopez was there to hit. So if the, if the ace wants – their catcher, he'll get their catcher. Don't worry about that. And the last question we have Bobby came Bobby Lopez, in, huh? Bobby that's Lopez, great. Yeah, back in the that's day. A great,
2: that's a great great um, reference.
1: Uh, so baseball pods, he uh, he mentioned this right after we started recording. Oh. I hope you two address the elephant in the room that Justin and Mason and him discussed on the TGFBI pod. I talked about it in our Battle of the Podcast chat. I thought it was very uh, shiesty of Justin Mason. And I'm saying this very sarcastically because Justin Mason, well, Chris, baseball pods, he was talking about on their, sh- on the show, how nice we were to um, basically to go in together to open up another spot for another team. And oh. Justin Mason, and Justin Mason said, don't believe them it's collusion to double up their viewership to add a stronger component to the masses.
2: Mm. so
1: that's the elephant in the room wow. i think justin mason should worry about his four other pods or whatever he has in the pool <laughs> and not worry about this but um that's just what he does
2: yeah yeah for those who weren't aware so last year bub and i went in separately with the um with our podcast we haven't been doing it as long but i mean really like i mean the thing is pretty much all my podcasts this year except for maybe a few of them have been with you so I felt like it it made sense and then also as we mentioned like i think at the time there was a lot of discussion about which pods should be in it and things like that and we felt like it would open up a spot so justin mason may not know what it what it's um like to be unselfish yeah but it's like you're talking about like
1: 20, 20 t-shirts with his face on it so unselfish is very very oh, difficult for thing. sure for sure yeah.
2: For sure, I mean, this is a selfless podcast that we do yep. here, Baba. Yep.
1: We're the podcast um, of the people, so I, I don't, I don't know what uh, Mason's up to.
2: For sure, we are, we are virtuous yep. um, and uh, egalitarian. You know, you know are, the way the way
1: I see it, Toby, is usually people with uh, blasphemous statements like Justin Mason made. They're usually it's because they're scared.
2: Yeah, they're so, hiding something. They're, yeah, they're,
1: that. That's the way I see it.
2: They're hiding behind the veil of fear, yeah, and um, going after other people. I yeah. think we this should. I think this is about promoting. This this uh, podcast is about promoting other podcasts instead of bringing them down. So yeah. that's why when we when we are up and it's our time, you will see us be positive. You will mm-hmm. see us asking people who listen to the pod, who enjoy the pod, you know, to vote for us. Um, we will not denigrate our opponents or do threads about how terrible each one of the podcasts are and why you should vote against them. Um, that is not something that we will, um, you know, we'll not, will not stoop to that level.
1: That's some below, below, below the, the belt stuff there. It's just, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Totally. But uh, hey, Gosh. teach their own. Teach I'm, their own I'm, get, I'm getting cranky. Yeah, and on that note, before we get too cranky, we'll wrap this thing up. But uh, yep. next week, we'll hit some more starting pitchers up, get some more listener questions, so keep them coming. Love the um, love the chatter in the live chat room, uh, so keep everything coming. Uh, check out Toby on Twitter, at BatFlipCrazy. I'm on Twitter, at BDEntrick. because it's Bubba and the BatFlip, Episode 72, Fantasy Baseball Starting Pitcher, Part 1 Review. Catch you guys later.